my definition of the Enneagram is nine ways of seeing. You know, we kind of think we're all the same, but we're just not. And we think that we're all having the same experience when we're not. To understand that difference is a hope for relationships and for conflict resolution, awareness of difference and building community and all of the things that matter to me. This modern world is of particular interest to women. Betwixt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Well, hi, friends. Welcome to the Betwixt Podcast. I'm Deb Gregory. Thanks so much for joining me for this really enlightening conversation about the Enneagram. This episode is the first installation of a two-part conversation about how the Enneagram can be used as a tool for spiritual growth. One of the most profound ways we experience change and growth is through our relationships with one another. And this theme of relationship is at the heart of Suzanne Stabile's new book, The Path Between Us. As we walk this path between us, Suzanne believes that we encounter both the best and the worst of ourselves, our gifts and our limitations. And in that relational space, we can experience incredible growth and transformation. Now, before we begin, listen to this. This is the music of Ryan O'Neill of Sleeping at Last. Ryan has been creating songs for each Enneagram type in his latest project, Atlas. And in this Betwixt episode, you get to hear the music of Sleeping at Last woven together with Suzanne Stabile's description of each Enneagram type. Now, Ryan is producing and releasing these songs one at a time. So far, he's finished songs for Enneagram types 1 through 5, which you'll hear today. But because he's still working on songs 6 through 9, I've used other Sleeping At Last songs in this episode that I think fit pretty nicely. And so if you enjoy Ryan's music, you can find him on iTunes and Spotify, and don't miss the Sleeping At Last podcast where he explains how each song was written and produced. It will make you fall in love with every Enneagram type. And I think his work is pure genius. I hope you'll enjoy the perspectives of Suzanne Stabile and Sleeping at Last as they mingle together so beautifully in today's episode. So now, what is the Enneagram? Well, the Enneagram is a model of nine interconnected personality types. Each type is represented by a number on a nine-point geometric diagram. In recent years, the Enneagram has become wildly popular among leadership trainers in both business and religious circles. It's used as a tool for strengthening interpersonal relationships and for personal growth. But the Enneagram stands apart from other personality typing systems because of its unique focus on spiritual growth. In 1990, Franciscan Father Richard Rohrer published The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective, and from there, its popularity within Christian circles exploded. 
Father Rohr taught that while self-discovery would be an outcome of studying the Enneagram, it was not the final objective. The Enneagram's purpose, he says, is to help us uncover the traps that keep us from living fully and freely as our true self, so that we will use our unique, authentic gifts for the good of others and the world. In other words, the Enneagram is simply one tool that can help to shape the path between humans in relationship with one another and the path in our relationship with God. So today, we speak with Suzanne Stabile, an Enneagram master teacher who studied under the direction of Father Richard Rohr. Hi. Hi, Suzanne. How are you? Suzanne is the author of the new InterVarsity book, The Path Between Us, An Enneagram Journey to Healthy Relationships. She's also co-author with Ian Morgan Cron of the bestseller, The Road Back to You. And you can hear her talk about the Enneagram on her newest podcast, The Enneagram Journey, which I highly recommend. Suzanne is a former theology teacher and a former basketball coach and a current pastor's wife. She and her husband, Joe, live in Dallas, Texas. Well, Suzanne Stabile, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation on the Enneagram. I'm just really delighted to chat with you. I'm so happy to be on your podcast. I am intrigued by Betwixt, and I love the Enneagram, and I'm excited to talk about my new book and some of the things that are going on with that. So I'm, I'm really happy to have the time with you. Great. Thank you. So... The Enneagram, it is a very fascinating and really popular tool right now, but you've been part of this process of helping people to learn this tool for many years now. Can you just give us a little snapshot of what we're talking about when we talk about the Enneagram? Sure. I want to start by saying that I'm an adopted child, and so I grew up trying to find where I belonged based on how people behaved because I didn't look like anybody. My parents um, had biological sons who were 18 and 15 when I was born, and my dad was a doc, and he delivered me. And um, I grew up in a small community in the panhandle of Texas, and I, I had an opportunity to really get to know people. I was around the same people a lot, and I can remember thinking, well, I do that, but I oh, I don't do what she does, or I I don't think I do that. So I think I intuitively found my way to observing behavior hmm. because of my own personal circumstance. Okay. That was just so that you could figure out who you were and how you fit yeah. in? Yeah. Where okay. I belong, kind of, because I think belonging matters a lot. And years later, after some exciting career changes, I'm married to a former Roman Catholic priest who contacted Richard Rohr and asked if he would be a mentor for us. Father Rohr said, come see me. And we now have been doing that for years. I read his book on the Enneagram and thought that it was the best language I'd ever heard to describe how I see the world. So that sort of sets up that my definition of the Enneagram is nine ways of seeing. Okay. You know, we kind of think we're all the same, but we're just not. And we think that we're all having the same experience when we're not. Mm -hmm. To understand that difference is a hope 
for relationships and for conflict resolution, awareness of difference and building community and all of the things that matter to me. So in those nine ways of seeing, it's possible to address two myths. And the first myth that's addressed is that we're all pretty much the same. But the second myth is that the Enneagram puts people in a box yeah. because that's not true. Okay. Enneagram shows you the box that you're already in. The thing that differentiates the Enneagram from other systems that are like it is that it's not static. In your Enneagram number, at any time you can be healthy or average or unhealthy. You can be an excess in your number. The idea that there's movement and that you can know yourself and turn that into an advantage toward being more whole and toward being uh, healthier, to me, is what makes it spiritual wisdom. Mm. I don't know of anything like it. And after 25 years of teaching, I think it's pretty great. Do you feel like you're still a student of it? Absolutely. And I always will be, I hope. And that says a lot about the Enneagram because there's just more and more and more. So seeing things differently, tell me a little bit about the nine numbers on the Enneagram. Okay. My way of teaching and writing is a little different than most Enneagram master teachers because I start with eights. Okay. And the reason I do that is because I walk into so many rooms to teach where people think we're all pretty much the same. And eight is such a strong, defined number that when people hear eights taught, they either know that that's them or they know that that's not them. That ends up being a good place to start, too, because the number right next to eights is nines. And nines are so different from eights. A feather is a eights are called the boss. They are people who are oriented to the future. They have been in leadership positions since they were very young. They find themselves elected to positions to lead. They think on their feet. They problem solve usually before problems happen. They are strong and determined. And we generally like to line up behind eights when your back's against the wall and you need somebody to get you out of that problem. Unfortunately, culturally in the United States, we still have a great appreciation for male eights. We like good, strong men that know what to do and pop up and do it and get it done. And Do we? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a number, but we kind of fall in love behind that with uh, not having to decide for ourselves and, and not having to second guess ourselves, just fall in line. We kind of expect that, right? We do, unfortunately. Female eights with exactly the same gifts that the men have are often referred to as bitches. And I'm sorry to use that language, but there is no other word for me to use that accurately describes what happens. But I know the right words exist My oldest daughter's 40, and she's an eight on the Enneagram. She's been misunderstood since elementary school. I find that curious. Hmm. A culture that seems to see itself as so liberated from all of that. So she works really hard using Enneagram wisdom to make sure that people can hear her. 
doesn't matter what you have to say if people can't hear you, right? right? So she works hard at that and she works hard at joining the groups that she wants to lead and um, it's still a struggle. When eights are brushing their teeth in the morning, they are aware of a lack of justice in the world mm. and they think it's their responsibility to make it just. Okay. So part of their aggression is about a big job to take care of the underdog and to make the world more fair and more just for everybody. Nines on the Enneagram are called the mediator. In Enneagram language, the best part of you is also the worst part of you. Mm. And the best part of nines is that they see two sides to everything. And the worst part of nines is that they see two sides to everything. But from the top of the Enneagram, I would say that they are the number that's most aware of the other numbers mm. and in many ways least aware of their own. Okay. You're pretty young. I don't know if you had to go through meeting after meeting after meeting in organizations to try to come up with a mission statement. That's some of the most abusive part of my history as a human being is having to sit in rooms with people and put stuff up on poster board or, that has to do with what's our mission statement. <laughs> I worked for the headquarters of an organization in their communications office, so I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it's a terrible experience. But nines are the people who just sit there and don't say anything and let everybody get everything said. And then somehow the way they hear is they can bring that down to like three or four sentences and then share it with everybody and become the hero of the moment. Hmm. Nines are desirous of being unaffected by life, which is connected to their passion, which is sloth. And sloth doesn't mean lazy. It means being unaffected by life. So nines tend to miss about a third of what's said, I think. Hmm. Nines don't see themselves as particularly important or valuable, so they need to be told that they are. And nines, they hate conflict. They'll do almost anything to avoid fragmentation or separation. Mm -hmm. If I could pick a number, which of course you can't, but if I could choose a number to be, that's the number I would choose. Interesting. Okay. My husband's a nine, and I found a t-shirt for him years ago that we still have threadbare, though it is, that says, laid back since way back. <laughs> and that pretty much describes him as a nine. Okay. Do nines have trouble finding and using their own voice? They do. They tend to merge with other people to avoid conflict. And they would say that not, not too much matters that much, that it would be worth conflict. Hmm. However, nines have lots of integrity and they're not swayed by peer pressure. Mm -hmm. So they don't do anything they don't believe is the right thing to do. But the thing that's different about nines is that they don't try to get you to not do it. Nines are the least controlling of all the numbers. When they are controlling, they're also the most stubborn of all the numbers. <laughs> and when they are controlling or when they're angry, it's usually passive aggressive. But they kind of let you do your thing and they do theirs. Hmm. It's an interesting place. I have a son-in-law who's a nine and one of my daughters is a nine. So hmm. in our family, there are 18 of us now and we all live in the Dallas Metroplex. And because we all uh, know the Enneagram so well, we make every effort to make sure that those three people have their say. We ask 
to hear from them and we ask what they want. Ones on the Enneagram are called the perfectionist. Ones are people who walk into a room and see what's wrong. And they feel a responsibility to fix it. Ones are people who are trying to make everything better. So they don't like the term perfectionist. Ones in my apprentice program or in my cohort tried to get me to use a different word. Okay. I listened to them, but I didn't think any of the other words worked. Reformer doesn't really work because ones are trying to perfect things. And after they know the Enneagram, they change that language to say they just want to make everything better, but that's still headed toward perfection. I'm not saying perfect in this life. They are very critical of themselves. Ones have an internal critic that is really hard on them, that is constant. That voice tells them what they do wrong and why they shouldn't participate and how they never get it right. Ones are the people who clean up behind you. Ones are the mothers who give their kids chores and then redo the chores after the kids do them. <laughs> Ones have to have something in their life that is ordered and perfect because that's where they get uh, some sense of peace and this critical voice is constant for them. I have a lot of compassion for ones mm. and a lot of respect for ones because they're the people who do every step of a task correctly. Mm -hmm. They don't take shortcuts. They do struggle with resentment because they're in the anger triad with eights and nines and their anger is turned in on themselves first. Mm. That usually comes out sideways as resentment. Okay. So it sounds like their struggle is mostly with themselves more than necessarily with the voices outside of themselves. Yeah, you know, these internal voices are tricky. And when we criticize ones, it's us agreeing with the voice that they live with. Mm -hmm. So they don't take criticism very well. To find out grace requires nothing of me. When they critique others, it's often too strong mm -hmm. because their voices are so strong with them. It's always a relief to ones to find out either that other people hear the voices too, that they, they like knowing that, but it's also helpful to hear that the voices are really not your friend. Hmm. That there's a lot of goodness in you that isn't ever expressed by that internal critic. and fours are in the heart triad, which is also the feeling triad. We don't read the world in our gut like eights, nines, and ones do. We read the world by picking up on feelings that other people have. And our response to those feelings is how we determine which of the three numbers we are in that triad. Twos are helpers. They're called the helper or the giver. And they kind of tend to whatever's right in front of them. 
Interestingly enough, I'm recording seven podcasts this week, and that's really good for me because it keeps me on task. I, I recorded two of my own yesterday for my podcast, and I'm going to do a live podcast in Austin that I'm teaching this weekend. But when I'm recording podcasts like yours, like Betwixt, then I, I have to prepare for both sides of that. I try to take notes afterwards based on what I learned. You know, sometimes people ask me a question that I've never been asked before and I don't want to forget that I thought my answer was pretty good. So <laughs> I'll send you the recording. <laughs> okay, that'd be great. So having bases in the day where there's something I have to do makes me healthier in my number. Hmm. You know, if somebody calls and needs me, that's like nirvana for me. So I can lose myself in trying to take care of other people. Twos often help people who don't want their help. Hmm. Twos in relationship to feelings actually really struggle to know what their feelings are. They feel what everybody else feels. The hardest question anybody ever asks me is, what do you need or what do you want? Because I don't usually know. Hmm. That's a hard question for me. Uh, we all like to have twos in our lives because they're genuinely interested in us and they care about people and maybe most importantly they offer hospitality if the definition of hospitality is an exchange of stories mm. and I think perhaps that is the definition and twos are all about that that's great I just want to love you struggle in our culture. Threes are called the performer. They are an aggressive number that wants to lead. They want to earn our respect because they want us to follow them, primarily because they think they can help us be more than we are. One of my assistants now who handles booking for me and is an advisor and travels with me quite a bit as a three. And we had a three in her position in our ministry before her. Between the two of them, we have grown life in the Trinity Ministries exponentially. And it's because of how threes see the world. And it's because of how they see my gifts and Joe's. So they kind of sign us up to do things that we wouldn't necessarily think we could do. Hmm. They see potential in other folks. Hmm. Threes corners. They are goal setters, short-term and long-term. 
they usually achieve those goals. Their orientation to time is the future, so they're not always around for the celebration of completion. They're kind of not there when the confetti falls,、mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not great because they leave the tribe to move forward and do the next thing. Maybe I've done and I think we live in a three country,、hmm. so we all have some three in us. I so deeply love the threes in my life.、Mm. It makes me very sad to recognize from Don Rizzo and Russ Hudson's work that threes believe that they're loved for what they do and not for who they are. We'd be in a lot of trouble in corporate America without threes, and I think healthy threes grow healthy corporations, and unhealthy threes struggle. I also live in a three city. Dallas is a three city and three country. So if you're a three in Dallas, it's like an alcoholic that lives above the bar. You know, you can't get away from all the image stuff and all the image crafting. That's an extra struggle for threes. Okay, you've got the word above your head in your office. I'm looking at it. It says possibility. Is that、yep. a word that, like, part of their lens of a three? Yes. Okay. They always see what's possible. Okay. And they show other people what's possible. We'd be in a lot of trouble without them. They have trouble reading feelings, though. Mm. Have trouble accurately reading their own and the feelings of other people, and so they got to work on that. To let my heart feel what it feels, gold, silver, bronze hold no value here. Where work and rest are equally revered. Set aside the highlight reel and leave my greatest failures on display with an asterisk worthy of love anyway. Fours. I think fours are the most complex number on the enneagram. And I think there are fewer fours than any other number.、Uh, I run into a lot of people who don't know a four well. Fours are called the romantic, and here's what I would say: a lot of people say in Enneagram teaching that fours want to be special. I used to say that too, but I don't say it anymore because I don't think it's true. I, I think fours almost desperately want to be known,、hmm. and they're so complex that in a culture that moves as fast as ours does. People don't take time to listen to them and to get to know them. Fours happen to be the only number on the enneagram that can bear witness to pain without having to fix it. Wow. Yeah, it's a fascinating gift that's underused, I think. But that sounds painful in and of itself. Is that painful、yeah. for them? No. No. Okay. Their sweet spot is. That when things are complex, 
and when people are experiencing pain, that's when fours feel place. They they know that they have a place in that. I think a four would say uh, this. I think a four would teach the rest of us. Don't get rid of your pain until you've learned what it has to teach you. We get rid of pain really quickly in Western culture. Fours are people who see everything with texture. They give you what's deepest in them, and they want the deepest part of you. And fours would say that for them, relationships are everything. But they often feel like they're either too much or they're not enough. And they kind of navigate that all day, every day. You know, like my mood swing, I would say, over a three-month period is I'm happy most of the time. But sometimes I'm just sad. My mother used to call that having the blues. Sometimes I have the blues. And sometimes I'm just on top of the world. And I, I don't quite know what that's about either. I just, maybe for three or four days, I'm just kind of blissful. Well, if you look at fours, they have that movement that takes me three months. They might experience that as many as 10 times in an hour. They tell me that emotions go by so fast for them, they don't know which one to choose. My youngest son is a four. It's a struggle to be a four and not be too much or not enough. So when you're communicating with a four, you never quite know what you're gonna get. Yeah, very complex. Lots of fours find themselves in literal art forms. So many are musicians or poets or authors or dancers or creatives in some other way. Not everyone who is creative is a four. And not every four is created. I think we have fours to thank for so much of the beauty that's in the world. And they don't want to be stereotypical. They value their authentic uniqueness. So their appreciation for art forms are not stereotypical either. Mm. So much of the beauty in the world comes either as a result of the fact that fours created it or as a result of the fact that Fours saw it in other people and were able to share it. Mm, that's beautiful. In certain light I can plainly see A reflection of magnificence Hidden in you Maybe even in me Fives are people who dive deep into what they're interested in.
I bet you half, I bet more than half of the patents in DC for things that people invented. I bet fives invented those things by trying to solve a problem and just going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I wanna watch the universe expand. I wanna break it into pieces small enough to understand and put it all back together. Fives are the only number on the Enneagram that's capable of true neutrality. Mm. So they're Switzerland. They don't get involved in office politics. They don't get caught in uh, silly bantering about things that don't matter. They're very opinionated. They often disagree whether they say it or not because they don't necessarily think like the rest of us. They like to be seen as really knowing their stuff would be my language. Fives are the number on the Enneagram that has a measured amount of energy every day, and they wake up with the same amount of energy every morning. Every exchange that they have costs them some energy. They're called observers, and we misunderstand fives as being aloof or withdrawn, when in fact they're trying to protect that energy. So every encounter that fives have costs them something. Mm -hmm. Every hello, every handshake, every phone call, everything. And they intuitively manage that even if they don't know the enemy. When they start to run out of energy, they know they have to get home. They have to get to a place where nothing is required of them. And that energy is like manna. You, you can't store up for the next day. And now I want Sixes, there's a lot to say about sixes for me. The passion or the sin for sixes is fear. That fear would be better described as anxiety because sixes are concerned about possible future events. Sixes are called the loyalist often, but they've also been called the devil's advocate. And I think there's some value in that because sixes are yes, but people. The way they are in the world is, well, yeah, but this could happen, or, well, okay, but that could be true. When they're brushing their teeth in the mornings, they don't trust themselves, which makes me very sad. And so they often look to other people or to systems or to belief systems to find out what's right and what's wrong. They often go to uh, authority figures. Because they're the number that's concerned the most about the common good, I want to know what they think. I don't want to know what they think somebody else thinks. Hmm. And because I think they represent a large percentage of the population, I want to know how they see and what they believe is the best way to move forward. Sixes are the people who 
really value community and like to do group projects and like to do collaborative work. I have a lot of respect for that. Sixes ask lots of questions and other people are kind of put off by that. But I, I think sixes ask questions because they're trying to determine where they fit into things. They're trying to make sure they're right about what's theirs to do. I don't think they're questioning your authority when they ask you questions. Mm. And I think we would do well to listen more to sixes. But sixes don't generally give their thoughts or ask important questions in real time. So you got to circle back with sixes if you want to know what they think and where they stand on an issue. Hmm. Is that the same for fives as well? Um, fives go away and do their own research. If they disagree, they might tell you. Lots of times fives just aren't interested in what the rest of us are talking about because they're interested in going deep in five or six things instead of a whole bunch of things. And fives are extraordinarily independent people. Their goal in life is to be able to live independently until they die and not need somebody else. And sixes, that's not true. Sevens on the Enneagram are called the Epicure, and that's because I think for sevens, life is kind of like um, a buffet. It is a Sevens want to taste the best of everything. They are in the fear triad with fives and sixes, and they're aware that they're afraid, but they don't look fearful to the rest of us. And part of that is because sevens live with a half range of emotions, and it's the happy half. And they can reframe any negative into a positive very quickly. They are kind of the life of the party, although they would tell you that that might be their way of entering a group, but they have depth that they wish people would come after, mm -hmm. that they wish people wanted to know them for a deeper part of themselves. I think sevens can model for us not taking things too seriously, but there's two sides to everything. And that also means then that sometimes in order to work out a problem with a seven, you have to convince them that there's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, they mm -hmm. keep moving and don't really want to deal with that. They're really good at seeing where systems overlap. Mm. Our oldest son is a seven on the Enneagram and he has, he's 33 and he started working uh, full time with our ministry and he travels with me a lot. It's very interesting for me to watch him think he does my podcast with me and is beginning to contribute a little bit from time to time. And I'm learning that with six on one side of him, he asks very good questions. And my questions are all kind of get to know you. And he asks questions that are more multifaceted than that. Mm. So that's a, that's a good thing that sevens do. Still 
I think that's everybody. What I love about the way you described everyone was it really did invite us into that empathy and compassion piece. I hope so. Well, friends, that's the snapshot of the nine Enneagram numbers. In the next episode, Suzanne and I will explore how knowing these numbers can help us better navigate the path between us. We'll talk about the Enneagram and the church, the Enneagram and parenting, and even the Enneagram and adopted kids. Ones are worker bees, and twos are kangaroos, and threes are eagles, and fours are butterflies, and fives are owls, and sixes are bunny rabbits, and sevens are monkeys, and eights are lions, and nines are turtles. And in case you're wondering what the Enneagram has to do with the liminal space, we'll cover that as well. So hang tight. We'll see you soon for part two. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Betwixt Podcast. You can find more Betwixt episodes and view our show notes at betwixtpodcast.com or you can visit my partners at missyoualliance.org. Missio Alliance is resourcing a church reimagined for a world recreated. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and given Betwixt a positive review on iTunes or Google Play. If you haven't done that yet, please consider taking a minute to help me out. This really is the fuel of podcasts, and it makes a big difference. Hey, it has been a real pleasure to produce this podcast for you. Thank you for holding liminal space with me today. Catch you next time.